With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Rants and Gems. This is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. We are live. We are blessed. Thank God for another day. So, look, man, we're going to continue the trend. I don't think you guys have been paying attention. I was just having this conversation <laughs> with my special guest today that I am making it a point to highlight women in real estate purposely, mm-hmm. intentionally. So if you're not paying attention, I'm going to tell you <laughs> so you can see it for yourself because there's a lot of dope women in real estate all over the globe, yep. not just here in America. And I'm speaking to, and I'm meeting a lot of these women, and I'm like, damn, why haven't you been on this platform? Why haven't you been there? Why don't people know who you are? And I'm tired of saying that. So I said to myself, self, (laughs) you're MG the mortgage guy now. Part of the biggest network in the world, EYL Network. So you can do whatever the hell you want. Why not? So today's special guest flew all the way in from the six. Tooks, you ain't got no like six, six, six on Drake in the back. Six, six, six. None of that? Oh, okay. What? We ain't got, we ain't got, we ain't got no crazy. six, 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 six. <laughs> <laughs> Sound effects, Tooks. All right. So my, my guest came in all the way from Toronto, here in New York, in studio. Um, she's a real estate developer. She was a real estate broker for like 10 years, you said, right? Yeah, 10, yeah. I, years. I was selling real estate for about 12 years right before I got into development. I mean, it was a gradual, mm-hmm. it was a gradual process. You know, I started off um, getting into real estate, which is a story in itself because I actually started selling, pro- Sorry, I got into real estate because I actually started selling investment projects to my friends and family. Mm. So I bought an investment property. I told some friends and family about it they were like, what's this? What are you into? And I actually sold eight or nine of them. Wow. Uh, and I wasn't an agent at the time, so I didn't even get paid. I didn't get the commission. Um, but the agent that did get the commission looked at me and said, I'm starting a real estate brokerage and you should become a real estate agent. So I quit my nine to five job. I started selling real estate and uh, I was a top agent at that brokerage for, I want to say, seven, eight years, and then I started getting into slowly uh, just buying properties for myself. And that's something very important that I think all real estate agents need to understand. All brokers, you need to be buying real estate for yourself. Use that real estate license and buy deals for yourself on top of selling for your clients. And so that was something that I took uh, to heart. Mm -hmm. And so I was buying deals and then I also started getting into investment. So I started buying properties and flipping them, doing some, you know, renovation stuff. So I got a little taste of that experience. And then ultimately the guys who owned my brokerage, they got into development and I initially, because I have FOMO, literally, Mm -hmm. I I, I never want to miss out on an opportunity. Uh, I lose sleep over it. And so I started going along for the ride. You know, they started going out into smaller cities where land was more affordable, um, and they started bringing downtown Toronto design to those smaller cities. But what we also started doing was bringing the clients almost along with us for the ride. So we started designing out in Niagara Falls, and then all these clients, because I sold predominantly investment real estate for 10 years, and those clients who made money in all those investment properties, they started then buying into our projects. in the suburbs way out there. So it was it was a process. Um, I definitely didn't have that plan going into it, but it was something that looking back, uh, I wanna just let all real estate agents and brokers know that, listen, if you are going to be have this career as a realtor, what you wanna do is start setting your clients up. And when you teach people how to invest in real estate, you will have clients for life. Priscilla Facey, y'all. She is in the building. <laughs> She's ready, yo. I didn't even get to say her name yet. She like, yo, bam, 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 Jim, Jim, Jim. I love the way this is starting right now. Okay, Priscilla, yep. you ready? I'm ready. All right. So let's. You said a lot. 
So I want to rewind a little yes. bit. So you came into this business not as a developer, as a real estate agent. Yes. You started, but you realized that the key to your success as, to be a successful real estate agent, broker, was to work with investors. Yes. So how did you transition from working with an emotional home buyer to working with the real estate investor? Yeah, I think initially going into real estate, a lot of people think, you know, you're going to be opening doors, you're going to be, you know, selling, uh, staging, all of that. And there's definitely that aspect to it. But the thing with Toronto at that time is we were in a condo boom. And so we had condominiums, you know, high-rise apartment buildings. Um, mm -hmm. And we had so many people, uh, we had so many projects that were just on the go. And the thing is, is that people weren't really thinking about, well, I've got all this money in my primary residence because most people have all of their money locked up, tied up in their primary residence. Now in Canada, when you own a primary residence and you sell it, you actually don't pay taxes. So it's free money, the whole amount. Um, and so I basically got clients pulling equity out of their homes and purchasing investment property. And I did that because I'm someone who kind of sort of just walks the walk. Like whatever I've done and I'm successful at it, I then teach to my clients, to my peers, to my family members. And so people kind of started seeing that, oh, hold on a second here. This girl sold one house, then bought two investment properties, and then sold one of those investment properties, and then, you know, bought three more. And so let me kind of get into that. And so I think that as a broker, if you are selling, if you're buying your own properties and making money, and it doesn't have to be a hard sell, I would just talk about it. You know, I'd be at a friend's birthday party and be like, oh, yeah, I just bought into that building across the street 5% down. You know, I, uh, this was selling for this per square foot, but r completely done, this building's going to be worth this. And it was always just this natural conversation. And people, anytime you're talking about real estate, at any event, people are interested. Absolutely. Right? Uh, everybody wants to make money. So if you can teach people how to make money, this is something that's so valuable. It'll put yourself in a different category than other brokers. Um, and you're going to have just a constant stream of referrals. And that's just what started happening. I've never advertised. I've never had my face on a, you know, a bus or anything like that because I constantly had a stream of referrals because it was like, oh, I had 20 grand. I just bought this investment property with Priscilla. And then a week later, their cousin's calling me. Grandma's got all this money locked up in her house. And that's the thing, too, is that, like, in Toronto predominantly, you've got the community is really first generation from immigrants, Right. And so like my parents came, uh, you know, and they came and they worked. And Where are your family from? So my dad's from Jamaica. OK. And so. Yachty. Yeah. <laughs> in, okay. the, in the, you know, that whole Caribbean community. And so people come, they work like dogs and they save. And if you can get a house, that is like the Mecca. You've made it. The challenge is that it doesn't stop there. But that mentality wasn't really, you know, ingrained in 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 my dad's, <coughs> you know, in my dad's um, family. And so what happened was. I started being the one to be like, hey, you've got your house, you've almost paid it off, because that's always the goal for some reason. That generation is to just pay off your house. Mm -hmm. And I'm always saying, okay, you're going to pay off your house, but then what? You still got your monthly bills. So yes, you don't have that one aspect of it. You don't have the mortgage payment, but now you're sitting on all this money. And everybody knows, like, it takes money to make money. And so if you have all this money tied up in your primary residence, how are you going to make money from is that? that? Mo is that money? Yeah, yeah. And so part of the biggest challenge, I think, was kind of, changing that thought process and getting, you know, people of that generation um, to really understand and realize that, like, not all debt is bad debt. You know, there's a proper use of debt, and that's going to get you where you want to go. No one made millions of dollars from working and paying off their house. Like, you don't become a millionaire um, and really build wealth that way. And what I started seeing was I had clients, for the most part, who were had bad credit, a lot of them had cash jobs, you know, bartenders, DJs, that kind of thing. Um, and so they just, they didn't have a creative way to get real estate. And so I had to teach them and find really great tools and really great mortgage brokers to help, you know, piece deals together. And I think from that creativity is what really started sparking, you know, this whole network of, of clients that I had who really made a lot of money, increased their net worth significantly by uh, investing in real estate. I like everything you said just now. Um, especially about paying off your primary residence mm -hmm. and having that zero balance, yep. you know, that quote-unquote freedom. Yeah, I'm free. <laughs> I have no mortgage. But you also don't have no money now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like all your money went into the house. Yeah. And it's not like you can go to your house and stick your ATM card in the mailbox <laughs> and say, give me some of my equity back today, please, yeah. because I need something to do, right? Yeah. You have to go apply for a loan and get approved for a loan. So I always recommend people, look, <clears throat> 
pay down so you don't pay a lot of interest over the 30 years or 20 years, whatever your mortgage term is, but try to take the most of that money and invest it yes. and make cash flow yep. so that way the cash flow can pay for your mortgage yep. and you're not paying yes. your W-2 income. Exactly. Right? So I like how you now you you leverage your clients, the word of mouth, you leverage your own commission checks yep. into investments. Yes. So every house you would sell, you would go buy an investment property. I mean, I wouldn't say every house, but pretty but much that definitely. was kind of like your formula. Oh right? yeah, yeah. You make enough in the commission. Okay, I'm selling these houses to other investors. Now I'm gonna go take some of this commission yes. and put it back into a deal. Yeah. So I was I was steadily buying investment property, um, and sometimes I would invest with with other people. Like I'd have a client who say, you know, what, I got twenty grand, but like that's all I have, and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I just did a deal, and you know, agents were pipeliners, and so I've got you know sixty grand in commission coming down the pipeline. Here, let me allocate twenty to this, and let me start keeping an eye on what what other builder inventory is out there that we can buy something with that forty thousand. Sometimes we could buy two properties with it, you know. And so, as you know, you get you come across challenges um, qualifying for mortgages for all of these properties, and so that's again where creativity has to come in. You know, some banks have net worth programs where you've got two, three properties, they start lending you just based on your whole portfolio. Um, you've got uh, banks that will just, you know, lend you based on income that you're cash flowing from certain properties. Um, and then if you're doing value add, like if you're doing renovations on a property, I, wherever possible, as soon as the renovation's done, I refinance that cash out to try to get that money back to again, put the money at play. Like money, money always has to be working for you. And if you, money's not working for you, you're working for money and that's just the wrong relationship to have. Money's not working for you. Yeah. Then you have to work for money. Yeah. And that's the wrong relationship. Yeah. That was a gem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. That was a gem. I like that. Okay. So you're running around, you're selling houses, you're working with the investors, and investors at this point in time, like, was what, 80, 90% of your business? I would say, yep. So what made you say, you know what? I don't want to be the transactional professional no more. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's something that you said earlier when you um, opened up, you said, look, if you're always out here building wealth for others, basically, you have to find time to build wealth for yourself. Yes. Right. And I think as a transactional professional, yeah. I mean, shit, I've even been caught up in that yeah. matrix, too, where yeah. you're so worried about I got to close this deal. Yep. I got to close this deal. I got to close this deal for my client. But you forget. Oh, wait a minute. I got to get my own deals, too. Mm -hmm. I got to build my own wealth. So when did you just say, you know what? I think I'm good with being a transactional professional. Let me go into real estate development because most of your sales yeah. and your business were well, you were selling pre-development, right? Yes, I was selling pre-construction. I think that we kind of got to a point collectively as a team, and this is where you go back to you know the cliche saying, your net worth, or your network is your net worth, mm -hmm. and that's something that's just you have to surround yourself with the right people who've got um, a growth mindset and people who want to who are going places. And for me, I look at people who are who have achieved success and are still on that train and I want to take the habits that I can from them and what can I do you know for my own self and what I saw around me were people that were just keeping it moving like you went from buying pre-construction to doing renovations to now I had people in my circle that were like now we're gonna go on to development and um, because effectively we saw I saw development from the other side I saw from the sales and marketing side and I was on that side of the curtain and I had, you know, here and there, I would get a little, like, peek behind to see what the developers were doing in the background. Like, you know, they were doing some zoning. Oh, the project's on pause now because instead of doing 100 units, we're going for 150. You know, you drive around neighborhoods and you see the big signs that go up that give the public notice that, like, a, a you know, a project's going to be built here or this is the application. There's an open house for it, you know. And so I kind of, I would see that little bit and I was like, okay. And then initially I had gone along with some colleagues to see what they were doing on the development side and there was an opportunity to jump in. And so I did all of the back end work um, for a lot of the zoning, a lot of the administrative side of development and then we got through to the approval of the site and the building permits and that's when, you know, that's when the really fun work begins is, uh, is construction. And so I got a first hand look um, as an investor in, in a real estate development project and as mm. someone who was working in the project to really see all of the, the back-end stuff and what, what everything that goes into it. Um, so sales and marketing, was that was my game. I could have done that in my sleep, but now I got to see the other side of it. And once you see that, those numbers become a lot more lucrative. I mean, it's 
can be high reward, but there's a lot of risk that goes into it. What are some of the risks that comes with becoming a developer? <sighs> becoming a developer, I mean, you really need access to capital. I think the success of any market, um, the success of any project is really having access to capital. And that's it. And when I had a whole slew of clients behind me that I had facilitated them making a lot of money when I needed access to some of that capital for my own projects, they were right there. Because of course, you know, I had one client who was directly like, you've helped me make this money. So, you know, whatever, whatever next, the next play is, I'm in. And I think when you build that relationship and develop that, that type of uh, loyalty with clients and you've, you've been there with them for the success, um, I, I think that those, those are the same people that are gonna stay with you to the end. So your clientele that you helped make money over 10 years now became your investors. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A smart play. Yeah, and, and that wasn't the plan, though. But like it that. was. It was. A good, it, it worked out perfectly, though. <laughs> it did. It did. It did. It did. Yeah. And so, um, I think that you know, just going back to risks and development. I mean, you're going to have to have some strong people uh, behind you because a lot of this is a numbers on paper game. Like you're in mortgages, so you know, selling you know a deal to the bank is it's not much different selling a project to that construction financer. And so for me, um, you know, I was starting out, I had a decent net worth, but nothing crazy. Um, and then I needed some of those investors behind me to say, hey, they're gonna kind of co-sign this deal because they've got a bunch of money sitting in the bank. I've got the experience, so in that sense, it was uh, kind of like a JV. They were mm -hmm. passive and silent. They weren't involved in the project at yeah. all, except to be on paper. I love it. All right, so we love the journey. I love the story. I want to get to some meat and potato stuff right now, right? Yeah. Because this this was my first time ever being in Canada. Yes. Wow. Um, it took you this long. It took me this long. I don't know what the hell <laughs> I was thinking. This is a nine. It's a ninety-minute flight. <laughs> Literally, like I took a power nap. I was in Canada. I said, "What the hell is going on here?" I thought it was further than this, right? It seems so far. It does. But it it's does. right there. Yeah. And I, I love. It reminds me of New York so much. Mm -hmm. In all aspects, you got good yard food, mm -hmm, you got mm -hmm. good vibes, mm -hmm. like the restaurants, every restaurant we went yeah. to was good. Like, I mean, everything was great. Yeah. Uh, how is the Canadian real estate market um, today, you know, post-pandemic? What's happening? What's the latest trends? So the latest trends right now, I mean, Canada, uh, Toronto specifically, we, we are really are a city made up of different generations of immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a constant steady slew of immigrants coming in to Toronto. Uh, I think the stat is around 70 to 80 percent of all immigrants to Canada end up uh, in and around the Toronto area. Um, and so the real estate market for so many years was just, it was a frenzy. You had every house that went up for sale, you had, you know, six to 10 offers. Things were going crazy over ask price. Um, and, you know, we, we go back into a lot of, uh, you know, people would say, oh, this market's, you know, it's overvalued, this and that. But when you look at it, I mean, you'd have, let's say you had 10 offers on a house. Let's say the house goes for, you know, $1.5 million. And people would be like, oh, you know, that was overvalued. But what is value really? You know, value is what someone's willing to pay for it. And I think, when you look at Toronto and everything that the city has to offer, it's a world-class city. I mean, we've got um, we've got so many creatives in mm -hmm. Toronto. We've got you know obviously Drake and the Raptors really put us on the map. But um, but so we've got a market where real estate was a frenzy. It was very hard to buy property, and with the post-pandemic era, interest rates started rising. So about a year ago, slowly the government started raising interest rates. And we went from around, at one point, the peak low, I would say, was around 1.89%, super cheap. Everybody was buying. Money almost free. Yeah, yeah. And then as things started climbing, I think right about now, we're sitting at around, the peak recently was around 6%. Um, and so that's 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 crazy. You know, someone's mortgage, mortgage payment went up like double. Um, and so it was very challenging. And so, what, of course, in anything, when interest rates start rising, prices of houses go down. And so we've got now a little bit more of a balanced market, but the last two uh, decisions that the government made recently, they froze the interest rate. And then recently, a couple of weeks ago, they froze the interest rate again. Really? And so now what we're seeing is the market's warming back up. And so I, I just saw a couple of houses um, that sold recently near me and those went, one had six offers, one had 10 offers. I'm like, okay, 
we're coming back now. Um, and then the government, uh, our federal government, is tripling the amount of immigrants that they're allowing in to Canada to kind of help replenish what we lost because we're an economy that's based on immigrants. And so we need the immigrants to come and work to form our tax base. We've got a lot of um, aging people that are going to be on government pensions. The government doesn't have enough money to cover this. So we need people here in Canada working. And the challenge is that when the immigration thing kind of shut off with pandemic, you know, people weren't really moving, <coughs> our tax base started shrinking. Mm. And so the government's like, okay, now we got to trouble. We've got to make back up for lost time. Well, what's going to happen now is these people are coming. Where are they going to live? Um, in and around Ontario, we, which is you know the city that the province that Toronto's in, we have a shortage of around 800,000 housing houses. Wow. So um, we need to keep building, you know. And so you commented that I think there's a lot of cranes in Toronto. It reminds Absolutely. me of Brooklyn. Time, right? It reminds me of Brooklyn. There's yeah. so many cranes. Yeah. There's so much development happening. Yeah. I was shocked. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on up here? Yeah. Because from everywhere, everyone's telling me Toronto's expensive. Mm -hmm. I'm like. It don't look expensive, all these damn mm. cranes up. People are buying, <laughs> clearly, yeah. up here. But then I started learning about the local economy and yeah. like the amount of jobs that are coming yeah. in and the tech hubs and yes. all these different things yeah. that are happening. And I'm like, wait a minute. This place may be a great opportunity yeah. to invest in, mm -hmm. especially coming from the States. Now, is it easy? I'm not going to say easy. How is it for us Americans if we wanted to come up there and to invest? Because I know you guys are doing tons of projects and things of that nature. Yeah. How, how does that work? So there's some challenges now. I mean, the government's implemented some rules recently to ban foreigners from investing. I think really? that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So prior to that, you could get in uh, anywhere from 35 to 50% down. 35 was was reasonable. Um, so that would be your down payment on a property. Um, the... What's really great about that, too, is that the American to Canadian dollar conversion is probably, you know, really like 20% down. So, um, but recently, yeah, the government has, has sort of turned off the faucet on that. Again, they're trying to keep house prices at a certain level. And we had so much foreign investment, a lot of investment coming in from Asia. Um, you know, people showing up with cash to buy, you know, and so... Um, the government's really wanted to do things to make housing more affordable for Canadians. Uh, but I, I think that's going to turn around uh, eventually. How long has it been, like, uh, this ban? Uh, it's just been a few months. Okay, yeah. so it's something yeah. that just happened it's recently. Just re very recent. I think yeah. it's a small yeah. play because, yeah. you know, Asians, they come by, they buy everything. Yeah. Everywhere all over the world, yes, yes. they don't play around. And there's loopholes, right? Like, Definitely. I mean, there's always you, a loophole. You can, and, that, and that's closing a property. But, but the thing is, Toronto's got such a, a hefty pre-construction market that you could literally buy as an American. You could buy pre-construction and then turn around and flip it and sell it before it's actually ready. So you never need to close. Um, and that's not that's something that there's no particular. Okay, issue so let, with. let's explain this process, yeah. right? To explain the pre-construction process yes. in, in Toronto and Canada. Yeah, so essentially when a developer's got a project, let's say they've got 100 units to sell in the building, mm -hmm. um, before they break ground, they start selling those pre-construction. And so you sign up a purchase agreement. It's a contract to buy this property that's not yet built. And you have the right to buy, let's say that, you know, 600-square-foot, one-bedroom uh, condo. And so you sign, you leave your down payment. Now the property typically um, appreciates in value as the construction progresses. So maybe they get new zoning, they get their site plan approval, they get permits, they break ground. Typically you're gonna peak at around, uh, right around the time that the project is completely done. Um, so you can occupy the property now, it's, you know, it's a finished building. Typically right before that, you can sell it on assignment, they call it assigning because you're assigning that contract that you have. Mm -hmm. And I've helped investors do that for years. Um, and you, I've seen people make, you know, at minimum two, three times their investment. Um, the best deal, sometimes you can even buy with very little money down because typically some developers, once they sold a per certain percentage of their inventory, they will sell the rest at a more flexible deposit structure. So if you, you know, I was buying condos at one point with just 5% down. So, you know, if it was like a $400,000 condo, you put down your 20K, and then by the time it's ready, now you're going to make maybe that condo's worth 500000 So, you know, there's some fees in there and stuff, but at net-net, you're probably walking away with around 75000 on your 20000 And people just do this all day. So <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like this. this is a, I got a lot of questions behind this. So now you go in pre-construction, 
Same example. Yeah. 5% down on contract. You put your 20,000 down. You wait a year and some change. They start developing or building the property. Mm-hmm. Now you get an end buyer and you assign your contract to them. Yes. Flip it for the market value. Yeah. And you walk away. When they close, you walk away with your quote-unquote assignment fee. Yes. Or sometimes they put, they give a, enough of a deposit that gives you your profit back at that point. You know, there's different ways you can structure it. Obviously, the easier so it is when for you, them, the better. So when, they assign, when you assign it to them, if you put 20 to hand and go, I need 30000 down. Yes. Basically. Yeah. So yeah. now I take my 20 back, make 10 and I still got more margin yeah. when they actually fund Close. the deal. So yeah. that's a way for us Americans to go in. And because we technically haven't closed, we just got into yes, yeah, a, a contract. Yes, yeah. loophole number one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and there's nuances. I mean, yeah. it's funny because I was talking to uh, an American investor friend of mine some time ago, and he was like, "Oh, I got my cousin in Canada. I'll just ask him to put it in his name. You know, I'll just I'll just get him to do this." And so they're sort of again more loopholes, kind of using other people to help you know creativity to get a deal done. Mm. I like that too, but I like the pre-construction with keeping yeah. it in my name. Because now you guys do LLCs and everything up there, right? Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, you could do it in your personal name, but you could do it in a corporation as well. So I can go. You you have a lot of developments going on right now, so I can come and buy one of your your units pre pre-construction. You tell me to play. I say, okay, great. I'll put down this and get in the contract. Now that's my unit. And then now, as I know you're building it, we can flip it. Yes, effectively you could. Now, one thing to be aware of is, again, the market could change, as you know, at any Good point. Good or bad. It's always yeah. risk. So, yeah. It's always risk. So you want to be in a position to be able to close just in case. Mm-hmm. But, um, but for the vast majority of these, and I want to say like 80%, a lot of people are flipping out on assignment. Yeah. Look, try carefully. Do your research. Do your due diligence. We're not telling you you're going to make some money. We're telling you what possibly can happen, right? This doesn't mean it's a guarantee. It's a possibility. That's the disclaimer, <laughs> right? But this is a gem. Yeah. This is a way that, you know, not just Americans, but people, the Canadians, too, can yeah, get into yeah, real estate yeah. and make some money. But, again, do your due diligence. Yeah. Do your research. Make yeah. sure you can close, worst-case yeah. scenario, because you may not get an end buyer. Yeah. It's just like, it's basically, it sounds like you're wholesaling. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're wholesaling yeah. pre-construction yeah. properties, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Big gem. All right, let's talk about some of your projects. Mm-hmm. How many projects have you done? First of all, how long have you been de- developing for now? So I've been in development now for, gosh, that first one was 2018, so five years. Five years. Yeah. And how many projects have you developed since so, then? So, yeah, so I, I've uh, worked with uh, some partners, and we closed out on 50 to 54 units. This was last September. Okay. Um, and then I've got four of my own projects on the go, just over uh, 150 units at various stages of development or construction. Um, primarily in Niagara Falls, I've got one that's an hour east of Toronto as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of what my, my, my goal and my objectives are always to buy in these secondary markets where, you know, land prices are low um, and therefore I can build affordable product that's going to sell. You know, Toronto is, you know, I mean, I think on a worst, the worst day is like 900 a square foot. And so I'm in an area where, you know, I'm selling at maybe five, six, seven hundred a square foot. So just keeping the prices, you know, a lot more reasonable, making it a lot more affordable for investors. Um, A lot of the marketing is around investment real estate. And uh, a lot of these projects are purchased by investors as, you know, buy and hold. Some of them want to buy and flip out. Um, And then we've got I got a project that we just um, did a sort of a soft launch for and like 90 percent of the people on our wait list are are all end users. So, um, again, the market switches around a bit. If you're creating a small project that's well-designed, uh, great functional layouts, you're going to get people who are like, you know, this is an affordable option for me. I don't, I don't want to be in a million-dollar house. I'm going to maybe take something like this that's maybe five, 600000 and and uh, and live there. Yeah. So Niagara Falls, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been, mm-hmm. but when I think of Niagara Falls, I don't think real estate. No. I'm thinking Niagara Falls, yep. big-ass waterfalls yep. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what I'm thinking. What made you choose this area to go invest and and do development? Yeah, so we did a lot of research. Um, We did focus groups, and we 
effectively found that in the height of the real estate market, you know, three, four or five years ago, what was happening in Toronto is you had this almost like exodus. So you had people selling their expensive homes in Toronto and moving to these smaller cities. Um, a lot of them were people who were going to retire. And so, again, going back to people's primary income and their, most of their net worth is tied into the primary residence. And so they would sell their primary residence and move out to these smaller cities where they could buy the same size house for half the money and then bank the rest and that's their retirement savings. And so um, we found that that was happening and so we're like, okay. So we went out to these small cities, we looked for places that have low vacancy rate. Um, the beautiful thing with Niagara Falls is it's a tourist hub. Um, anybody from Toronto, you know, has at some point either staycationed in Niagara Falls, uh, brought family and friends to visit there. So this was also a, a great place to set up uh, vacation rental units. I think you guys call them short-term rentals, yeah, STRs. Short yeah. yeah, and so it's, it's a great opportunity there as well. Um, and so again, any type of land deal that you're gonna do, any development project, I always look for places that are affordable, land prices affordable itself, um, and you've got uh, low vacancy rates and a, a overall good economy, and there's a huge tourism economy in Niagara Falls. For a low vacancy rate, what number are you looking for? Oh, like, I mean, anywhere in and around Toronto, in two hours in any direction, you're probably at about 2%. Mm. Oh yeah, very low, very low. Very low. low. Yeah, yeah, there's often a wait list for rentals, you put up a property for rent and something new and, you know, good looking, you're going to get three, four offers. Easy. Easy yeah. on the yeah. rental market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the rent going for in, in these areas? Yeah. Niagara Falls, you're at about, I want to say, close to $3 a square foot. Um, and so, again, you know, if you're looking at, a, you know, a one or two bedroom, 600 square feet, you're getting about $1,800 a month in rent. Eighteen hundred dollars yeah. on six hundred square feet. Yeah, that yeah. sounds definitely like fucking yeah. that. <laughs> what <laughs> did you just yeah. say? Eighteen hundred for six hundred square feet. Yeah, yeah. Really? And that's and that's in Niagara Falls. In downtown Toronto, you're looking at like between four and five dollars a square foot. So again, six hundred square foot property, you're looking at three grand for six hundred yeah. square yeah. feet. If you're in a nice building downtown. Yes. That's like a couple of the size of this room yeah. right here. But if you if you design it well, 600 square feet, you got two bedroom, two bathroom, you know, how? balcony. Oh my gosh, I can show you some of my layouts. Like like how? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Yeah. Wait a minute. You say you could put in 600 square feet yes. two bedroom, two baths? Yeah, the smallest I've done, I did a 550 square foot two bedroom, two bath. How? Yeah. Great design. And it's functional? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Two bedroom, two I'm just I'm picturing six 600 square feet. The thing is, That's like you really think small. about it, you think about it maybe, you know, here and where you live and how you live, but you think about a lot of these other cities, like you go to like Japan, you go to like China, like they, mm. the density is so incredible and these people have nowhere to build but up and you have to be functional. The population size, um, there's just no other way. And so this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, and I've I've seen I've seen these in Manhattan. I saw three hundred square feet Murphy bed bachelor, but absolutely, it's it's totally doable. Yeah. Wow, for three thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God. Underground underground parking spot. You know, nice building as amenities. Yeah. God bless the trap, man. <laughs> God bless real estate, man. Wow, <laughs> and it's only going to go up. I see that because uh, I think. The housing market in Toronto was really, it's a supply issue, right? And with all the immigrants coming in, and whether it's going to be 
immigrants coming in to rent, whether they're coming in with money, and that's very common. I know a lot of times we think about immigrant as like, you know, maybe a refugee or somebody that's poor and like fleeing somewhere and doesn't have a lot of money, but there's a lot of immigrants coming into Toronto that have money and these people have money to spend. Um, I used to have, I had clients from Egypt, I had clients from Asia coming with cash, you know, ready to buy million dollar condos. Um, you know, that would be probably like 1,200 square feet. <laughs> well, a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, this was years ago too. But, um, but yeah, and so these people are showing up with money. Um, a lot of them are buying for their, for their kids. The kids are going to university in Toronto, and so they want to buy their kids something to live in. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, that's, this is all interesting, right? But how are you guys financing these deals? Because, you know, you're talking about 1,200 for 1200 square feet all these prices right for rental and i'm just thinking in my head like all right how much does it cost to build mm -hmm. right because if it's costing as much to rent for these small spaces it must cost a lot to acquire this land and also now the construction costs so yeah. how are you guys financing these deals because i mean here in america you can do construction deals construction loans mm -hmm. you can do you know hard money loans like mm -hmm. What type of financing options are available in your market? Yeah, no, there's, uh, you know, they, they'd use what I call, I guess, the common sense approach. Um, you probably know about that, where they look at the deal overall. So with what you're buying the land at, we put together what's called a pro forma. You know, it's a spreadsheet of all the numbers, um, what, you're gonna, what you can reasonably sell at. And so you look at the current market value of pre-construction properties. Um, mm -hmm. You throw that number in there per square foot. You've got other, you know, smaller uh, income generators like lockers and parking. Um, and then you look at uh, land value, all of the cost to build, the hard and soft cost of construction. I mean, construction costs right now, you want to build a good product, you're probably at around 240, mid 200s per square foot if you keep the numbers tight. Wow. Um, uh, but again, if you're selling at six and seven hundred thousand, six and seven hundred dollars per square foot, um, then yeah, then you you should you should still come up with uh, with a pretty decent um, you know net profit at the bottom of that sheet. That's a nice margin. Yeah. Two hundred to two hundred per square foot to sell it for six hundred. However, you do, have <laughs> the, you do have the soft costs in there too, right? So you've got like all your engineers and your architect and, and all the people you've got to pay. Um, the municipality, you've got to pay all the developmental fees and charges too. But, um, but you should still be able to come out with things. But I think what's really important um, for people to understand, I mean, one, when you've got this pro forma spreadsheet of, you know, your profits, potential profits on a development project, like this is all you know, don't fall in love with the numbers on the page because as you know, you're building your own house is that, you know, these construction costs, they can climb. And it's, it's the materials and labor, this is a whole other market in and of itself, right? Um, and not unlike any other market where there's a lot of fluctuations. You know, at one point we had lumber prices through the roof and fortunately these lumber prices came down, thank God. Thank um, God. You know, so what the number I had on the page, you know, is like several hundred thousand dollars less on one of my projects right now. And that was a saving grace because we had a lot of other numbers that have climbed, right? And so development, you know, it's not for the faint at heart. <laughs> um, you gotta have a stomach for uh, high risk, for things changing very quickly, um, for a lot of ups and downs. Not unlike real estate sales, right? Like when I was a real estate agent, you know, you fall in love with like, oh my God, like, look at these commissions. I got this client who's gonna buy this. Oh, we're gonna, we, we're offered on this property. And then, oh, the client wakes up Monday morning. Oh, I talked to my dad and you know, we're yes. just not gonna proceed. And you're just like, wanna just melt into a yeah. puddle, right? And so I went through that. And I think that was really good prep for becoming a developer because I was able to manage my emotions very carefully. I didn't fall in love. I didn't count commission until the deal was closed. <laughs> oh, you never count your eggs before they hatch. <laughs> Not in real estate. Yeah. Like you can't because deals die every day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like like you said, you speak to parents, you speak to yep. the spouse, yep. buyer's remorse, yep. anything can happen, your deal yep. just blows up. So yep. how, how are you balancing, because you mentioned about the lumber prices going mm -hmm. down and some other things went mm -hmm. up. Like, how are you managing that? Because sometimes, look, you can put together, hey, I'm gonna got a 10% contingency yep. reserve, right? Yep for this, but sometimes I get blown out the water too. So how are you managing like your own expectations and your investors' expectations mm -hmm. when it comes to these fluctuating numbers? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty conservative. When I put down, like, I mean, I don't really pitch any, I don't pitch investors, but if I sort of just bring an opportunity, 
uh, to somebody, I'm very conservative with what those numbers are, and I'm just very aware. In the same way, when I was selling real estate, is like this is what I think. You know, I'm not going to put a 10% rate of appreciation on that page uh, because I know let's let's put 3%. You know, um, under promise over deliver. That's definitely just a philosophy that I live by. Um, but uh, but certainly, I I just make sure that I'm building healthy. You know contingency in there. Um, I'm oftentimes underestimating what I think the the value, uh, the sale value of these properties is going to be. Um, but more than that, I think it's just really important to really be able to take those numbers that are on the sheet and and have a strategy behind it. So if you're, let's say you've got 100 units in a project, you're not going to release and sell all 100 at once. You know, your bank's going to work with you, and most banks want 70% pre-sales before they'll finance a deal. So I'm going to sell the 70%, and that's all I'm selling. I'm not selling a unit more, because chances are the market's going to go up during the period of the zoning, the site plan, and, you know, the construction period. And so I want to wait, and that little gravy, that extra money you're going to get in there at the end on those units that you held is oftentimes what's going to help weather the storm of, you know, and balance off some, some costs. So, like, yeah, try to control your revenue that way. Only really sell what you have to sell. Only sell what you have to sell and, 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 and land bank the rest, basically. Yeah. Keep that in the Keep back pocket. Keep that for reserve. Yeah. Keep that for yeah. reserve. And yeah. then as you get your comps, yeah. as you start selling and things start closing, yeah. then you can work on your other phase. And that's yeah. if you have a big enough project, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you had something for 100 units. But what if you have a 10-unit? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, how do you manage that from that perspective? I mean, the challenge with small projects like that is you don't have scale. Right. And so um, when you've got when you've got the larger projects you have, the more you can negotiate, you know, on material costs, um, on some of the labor issues. I mean, a lot of times what I do is I say, hey, this is the first project. We can work together. Well, FYI, I've got three more, you know, in the bank coming up. Um, and so that does entice a lot of trades and suppliers to to give you really good pricing. It's a little bit of a dangling carrot there. Um, but if you've got small projects, I think one thing that you've got to hold close to is really you, got, you have to stay on budget. Um, and a lot of times what I've seen developers do that I think went wrong is, you know, they, they over-promise you on these beautiful finishings and just really understand <coughs> your market. You know, like if, if I'm selling a project in a smaller town that's on the come up, I don't need, you know, quartz stone countertop that's like, you know, two and a half inches. You know, I don't need these like big glorious finishings. Um, you might not even need an undermount sink. You might want to even just go with a simple vinyl laminate countertop. I mean, there's little things like that. Just know the market, um, especially if it's something that's going to be a rental property. Um, you're going to have a lot of wear and tear on it. You want to just really manage these finishings. A lot of people, again, they get emotional. They They think of this place as a place that they would live in, but like, you are not the client for this property. Like I would want, you know, ABC in my project, but that's not what I'm going to give to someone who's buying in maybe, you know, Niagara Falls. It doesn't need to be this customized, big, beautiful design. Um, it's got to be a quality product, but just understand the market that you're selling in and who that end buyer or renter is going to be and just design to that. Don't design to your needs. Right. Design to your buyer's needs. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the biggest mistake that people make is yeah. that when you're rehabbing or you're developing, doing construction, whatever it is, you're always thinking about, I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. Who really cares what you yeah. like? You're not living there. You're not living there. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to use the worst or the cheapest material, mm -hmm. but you can be in the between somewhere, right? Yes. You don't need yeah. to use super high end. Hell, go to Ikea. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, go get some Ikea cabinets or something. It's still going to look good. Yeah. You ain't got to go get the high-end cabinets, yeah. right? Yeah. You can do certain things to save you some money. Yeah. So I think that's a good tip. And uh, you're right, the smaller projects is not a lot of room mm -hmm. to wiggle because the scale of it, when you're buying all this lumber and you're buying all these materials, like, you only buy it for this amount. But when you buy in bulk, it's oh, like yeah. you get more yeah. of a yeah. discount. Because yeah. the suppliers need, they want the business. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's where I think again, partnership is is something that's really key, because maybe I'm only developing ten houses, but maybe you know I know this developer and he's doing fifty, and I got this other guy over here and he's doing forty. Well, if we band together, if if our timelines roughly work out, then we can go to a supplier and say, hey, it's not just these units that I have here; it's the whole collective. And now they're like, okay, now they you know they're more enticed to to give you a deal. So how do you find your suppliers, right? Because I think 
you know, like I told you, I'm, I'm doing my own personal house right now, mm -hmm. and I kind of had to be my own GC because yeah. <laughs> I wasn't trying to pay the premium that the general contractors wanted. Yeah. And I have to do everything, mm -hmm. right? And it's been challenging. Mm -hmm. Fun, but challenging because I'm learning so much. Yeah. And one of the challenges were finding the right supplies for these things because we all know the Home Depots of the world and stuff like that, yeah. but that's yeah. not really no, where no, you no, want to no. go that's to. That's not where you want to go right? at all. Not at all. Yeah. But we're programmed, you know, as consumers and buyers, like Home Depot, Lowe's, you know, I don't know. Y'all have Home Depot? Yeah, we have Home Depot. We have Lowe's. Yeah. Yep. We're all programmed for yep. this, right? Yeah. So, but I had to find the mom and pop shops. Yeah. The mom and pop lumber yep. yards and things of that nature, and I got so much my pricing was like mm -hmm. night and day. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. like, how do you as a developer, you're doing at this scale? Right? Yeah. How do you find your suppliers? Yeah, so a lot of it, uh, a lot of it is boots on the ground. A lot of it is like almost like PI investigation. So <laughs> I mean, we, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, spying on your boyfriend kind of thing. But, um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. But, <laughs> but um, no, we, so I would go in and um, myself and my team, we would look at, okay, uh, here's the price of a faucet. This is what Costco's selling it for. Mm -hmm. Okay, where's Costco getting it from? And a lot of times, uh, we've even called the buyer um, for Costco and did some PI work, dug up his number. Hey, where are you? Well, who's the manufacturer? Where are you guys getting this from? And then you go to that person, you know? And so Home Depot, Lowe's, all these companies, they're getting their stuff from somewhere. Where is it coming from? And now, you know, with the internet, whatnot, you can just go and do your own research and you can try to find, you want the source supplier even for those chains. And again, a lot of them only want to sell in bulk. But again, if you're banding together with some other people or you commit, you know what, I'll take 100 faucets over the next two years and you sign up for that, you leave a deposit and they kind of keep it on reserve for you and they'll hold the pricing. Um, mm. And so it, again, it does come down to a lot of time scale, but it's literally like boots on the ground, do that investigative work um, and get samples, you know, um, and, and understand even like the market is not just local to where you are. Uh, if you've got a big development, the market could be stuff could come from China. Now, stuff from China can be good or bad. You yeah, know, so get a mess. <laughs> get the sample and, and take a look. But there's um, a lot of suppliers and and go into other like communities. Like um, one of our our greatest uh, countertop guys, um, he's from China, and so he's got the direct connect to China, and so we get the pricing through him. Um, and I mean, it's been hard to beat that price. Uh, if the workmanship is good, if the schedule's on time, you know, you, you want to look at, look at different people and, and see sort of like where they're making it work. Um, one thing though, to keep mm. in mind too, though, is that, you know, it's not always about the price because in a big development like this, you are going to pay if you're off schedule, right? And so the bank wants to see you completed by a certain time because every month you're paying interest payments. And so if you're late, well, they're going to add, you know, that extra twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month mortgage payment to the bill, and they're not going to fund that. They're going to look at you. Well, you're off schedule, so this extra two months delay, you got to pay that. That's got to come out of your pocket, or we're not funding. And so, you know, there's just a lot of nuances that uh, have to keep you motivated to stay on track. Um, if you are. So that's where we go back to these vendors. I mean, if you've got a price, you know, maybe this granite countertop or this quartz countertop is going to be half price, but, you know, they're bringing it from over here or they don't have a big enough crew and they can't handle, you know, the volume. Well, are you really saving? Because now these guys took six weeks to install countertops versus three, and that's money now that's off your, off your books because now it slowed things down. It slowed things down and yeah, delayed, yeah. and now you got to pay more interest. Yes. Yes. So you didn't save. So you didn't you save. actually paid yeah, paid yeah. more. And on some of the, some of the other projects that I've done, like I've been burnt that way. Um, like even just some of the like home renovation projects I did, so I understood that. Like oh, I thought this you know flooring guy was going to be amazing. His price was so cheap, and the guy like came every other day, worked for three hours, and then went to some other gig. You know, so it's like that's where when you're doing your house, you're showing up every day, and I mean it might seem like it's not really worth your time at the level you're operating on, but you're learning so much that's going to get you to, you know, that next level. Of oh, it's, it's, it's for me, and this is what I was telling you, I have the bug now. Now yeah. I want to build some yeah. shit, yeah. right? Because I'm yeah. seeing the process and yeah. I'm like, oh, I like this. Yeah. Like I'm putting something together yeah. that was in my mind. Yes. And yes. I'm creating something. Yeah. It's, it's real, it's like, it's a rush yeah. almost, but there are so many challenges mm -hmm. that comes with this, mm -hmm. right? And, I want to know from you, especially because you're fairly new in the development space, mm -hmm, five years. Mm -hmm. You came from a real estate broker, mm -hmm. selling investment deals mm -hmm. and selling pre-construction to now being on the other side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced so far 
in your career so far as a developer? Yeah, um, in development, I think one of the biggest challenges, uh, I would say initially was making sure you've got sufficient flow of capital coming into a project. I think um, a lot of times you get into it and the bank says, oh, okay, you know, you're gonna need X to buy the land and then you put your numbers on a pro forma and then when you actually start what we call the tender process where you actually start um, putting the project and the drawings out to suppliers and you start getting those bids back in, you're like, oh, hold on, like I thought flooring was gonna be this, now I see it's this, you know, cause again, this market is, is almost like the stock market, like it's very up and down. Mm -hmm. And so I think a big challenge was literally at one point I started watching the profits just kind of dissipating as these contracts started coming through with the actual pricing. Um, so I think it's just really important to understand all of the, the different materials and the supplies you're gonna need and have, just keep an eye on what these things are actually gonna cost and make sure that when you put your pro forma together, when you're considering buying land, just understanding what the actual true costs are of building are. How, but how do you find that though, right? Because you get all these estimates some people lowball you, some people highball you, mm -hmm. who knows, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. how, do, how, how are you really putting together a true performer pro and knowing, okay, I'm at this number, right? Let's say $200 per yeah. square foot for everything, all in, from soup to nuts. But that shit might want to be in 300 per yeah. square foot. Like, how are you really managing? How do you know? So I've, this is where collaboration is really key because I talk to other developers. I drive by construction sites and I would talk to the people that are building. Hey, who's your supplier for this? What did you pay? And most developers are gonna know these numbers off the top of their head. And maybe they're not developers that are on the ground there, you know, when you drive yeah. by, but you, you get their contact information and then you start talking to people local to that area. And that's something that I think is really important because, you know, I would talk to one colleague and he would give me a number and then I'd talk to someone else who's actually in it. No, 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 I just priced this out three weeks ago. This is the number. And then you look at, do they have the same scale that you do? Because maybe his price is going to be cheaper. Cheaper because, because he's got he's more doing. volume, yeah. right? And so this is where you've just, you've always kind of got to, you got to keep in the mix. You got to stay abreast of everything that's going on in the construction market in the moment and just learn. Like I was watching the episode you did with um, Terika Lynn Smith and, mm -hmm. and she said, you know, in school, you know, you get in trouble if you're like working with your, the guy the, at the desk next to you and Absolutely. you're cheating, right? Absolutely. But actually collaboration, this is what you need to be successful today. And so you might look around and, and talk to and collaborate with some other developers and then you'll see, hold on a second here, let me adjust my numbers here. Now maybe I don't want to go for him on this deal. You know, now maybe I don't want to, uh, I'm only going to make 1.5 million and that's not probably not enough room on, you know, a project because that 1.5 could start going down. So, I mean, you just got to really manage expectations, but you've also really just got to collaborate and, and be up to speed and talk to people who are doing what you're, what you're in for right How now. How important has your collaborations been to your career? Do you have mentors yeah. in the development yeah. space? Yes. Are you doing JVs? Yep. Like, uh, all of it, all of it. All yeah. of the above, right? Yeah, so I mean, I got into real estate um, through mentorship. I think I became a, an excellent real estate agent um, because of mentorship. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without that. And so that's something that I don't take for granted. Um, I think one thing you have to be is really coachable though. You know, you have to take the lessons and take the learnings um, and apply them. Um, and you've gotta, you've gotta execute because you know, coming up with ideas is one thing, but the execution is what's gonna get you where you wanna go. And I have a lot of people around me. I have a lot of girlfriends and they come up with ideas all day long and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I won't say her name, but, um, but ideas all day long and you have to execute. And I think the reason that um, I've been successful to date with, you know, as a career in real estate and, and doing development is because I execute and I don't just take the knowledge. I actually apply it. You know, so like we could learn things all day, but if you don't actually put it to use, well, what, what good is that for? You know, you're so. being entertained. Yeah, yeah. You're being entertained. <laughs> I, we tell, we say that all the time. Like, don't sit here and just watch this stuff. Mm -hmm. Execute. Yeah. Unless you just you like entertainment. Yeah. I don't know. We're funny guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, go out and do something. Yeah. You're not, yeah. You didn't fly away for Toronto to have this conversation <laughs> with me. You know what I'm saying? To be on the show for people not to get inspired by yes. what you're doing, yes. especially if, look for black women and we've having this conversation before like there's not a lot of black women yeah. in real estate development and if they are we don't know who they are yeah and i think i want to change that yeah because there's yeah. so many there's a lot women there's a lot yeah you know especially black women out here yeah. that are doing things at a very high level and yeah. i'm like damn 
they don't have a platform. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. people don't know who they are. So I hope people watch this episode and see yeah. you and say, look, if she can do it, I can do yeah. it too, and go out here and win at and a very it. high yeah. level. Yeah. So, all right, because we're coming up on like an hour right now. Are we? Yeah. No. I'm telling you, time flies. flying. Time okay. flies when you're dropping <laughs> gems. <laughs> like, time flies when you're dropping <laughs> gems. All right, so I, wanna, I want some, some, some last few gems from you. Right. First, let's speak to the real estate professional. Mm -hmm. um, that's because a lot of real estate professionals follow me. Mm -hmm. And um, what advice would you give them? Because I think the information, I think from what I'm noticing, Toronto real estate transactional wise is kind of similar to how we operate here yeah. in yeah. America. Maybe little things here and there, but the terminology is mm -hmm. real, real mm -hmm. similar. Mm -hmm. Right. What advice would you give any real estate professionals watching this who want to, one, work with more investors? Yeah. Because, look, the emotional home buyer right now in this yeah. hot interest rate market yep. with inflation being high and home yep. prices high, yep. they're not going to buy yep. as if when rates are in the two, three, fours, right? When they're in that six, seven percent, they slow down a little bit. So that's going to hurt your income. So how do you... What advice would you give them to transition to work with investors? Yeah, I, I think you can make money in any market. Um, and I think that as an investor in a market, you can make money in a high market, in a low market. And I think what's really key is, is for real estate brokers to go through the process themselves. I started out with no intention of becoming you know, a real estate agent. I effectively told some people about what I was buying and how much money I was going to make. And they followed suit. And I think it's really important to, you know, walk the walk um, and go through it yourself. You're going to learn a, a whole lot. And maybe you don't have money to buy, you know, a Manhattan high rise. But partner up with someone and grab something that you can afford to purchase. Find a way to, you know, house hack. Um, get into some renovations. Um, get into some investments yourself. And then now you can show people how well you did on this. And then that is such an easier, it's not even a sell. It's people just, you're providing value to somebody. And if you're providing value to somebody, you're going to make money no matter what you do. Because people don't have that insight. Now you've, you've done the experience, you've gone through it, you're showing people and you're teaching people. Another thing um, that I did a lot of is rather, again, rather than you know buying and selling homes per se, uh, or buying and selling other people's homes and transacting that way, I bought and sold uh, investment properties. And I would put a package together and show people. Uh, you know, this project, we've got 20 suites left. Here's what they're priced at. Here's what the overall market is doing. People don't want to think. That's why a lot of these businesses like, um, what's that meal prep business where you, you know, people just, the, the meal kits, like yeah. people don't want to think about dinner. Yeah. Like they don't want to think about investments, especially no. these are people that, you know, this is not their, their forte. This is not their industry. And so very similarly, if you put it all together all they have to pick is what floor plan they're buying. They're not deciding if they're buying this or if they're going to, you know, get into investment real estate. It's like, yo, like, here's what it is. I bought this property, then it was worth this. I would go into the Toronto real estate uh, database and I would pull up the charts. Every city, every real estate board has these charts, these housing market charts. Show them. In 2000, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the graph is here and then it goes all the way up. Like, this is, people will always need somewhere to live. And this is why investing in real estate is so important. And for the people who already own property, the easiest sell for me uh, with the hardest head was my, was my father, who had, was so hard-headed. And I was like, you bought this house for $100,000. Today, this house is worth $500,000. Imagine if you had five more houses. And then it's like, oh, shoot. People always want to, they're always afraid of what they don't do, right? So if you show them what they've missed out on, it's like the, the fear of losing. If you show them what they're going to lose, they're more than likely to buy something versus showing them, you know, uh, what, what they're going to gain. So it's just literally like, how can you lose out on this money? Like, look at all the money you've lost out on over the last five, you know, five years if, because you haven't been investing in real estate. And mm. so, you know, people understand, I think, that when they get the money, they need to put it somewhere. But you can put it in a checking account. You're going to put it here. You're going to put it there. So it's, just, it's showing them this is a holistic approach to selling real estate. It's not just about opening and closing a door. People are only going to move every four or five years. And so that's when you're going to get paid. No, if you transact investment real estate, people are going to buy investment property whenever they have cash. You show them how to pull money out of one and get into another. This is like, this is a no brainer. Um, but that's the only way I was taught. 
I wasn't taught any other way. You and, wasn't taught as like a, like a, we're gonna go after just the home seller yeah, and no, the home, first no. time home buyer. I started off in investment real estate and if I could go back and do it again, I mean, earlier we spoke about, I think 80 to 90% of my business was investment real estate, I would have I would have just did 100. I would have just been, you know, on my laptop, from bed, selling deals, putting packages together. Very easy, yeah. Not schlepping people around, <laughs> not showing them 30 houses. Oh my God. Those are the clients. I fired a client who had me doing that. Fired him. <laughs> you had to fire the Bye. client? Yeah. Like I'm done with this shit? Bye. Yes. Yeah. Guy had me out working for minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> but that's basically what it boils down to yeah. because you spend six months schlepping somebody around. No, and they might never buy. And they might never, ever buy. They might ever decide buy. they don't like you and now go call somebody else to just seal the deal. Like it's crazy. Like the, the potential to just wait your time it, it can't be higher in any industry other than real estate sales honestly facts yeah facts even on the loan officer side we yeah. waste our time with so many people getting pre-approved oh my god that's never gonna buy yeah and this is why i focus a lot on vested clients myself yes. and that yeah. is honestly that has been the only thing keeping the mortgage business moving yeah. and shaking the way it needs yeah. to is because i'm dealing with investors and because you're showing again people value like you got two, three properties, you want to buy a fourth, you have to come to me. Yeah. Because I'm going to be the creative one to put this And I'm going to show you how to do it. Yeah. And this is why I always preach to real estate agents, like, yo, you need to understand real estate financing. Mm -hmm. You need to understand mm -hmm. construction. These are the two mm -hmm. most important areas of real estate, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Once you understand financing and funding your deals and the construction of yep. it, if you're doing, you know, those type of deals, the world is yours as, yeah. a, as, yeah. as a real estate broker. Yeah. These uh, should be the foundations of the real estate course. That in psychology. You know, understanding that, especially when there's Mindset. a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And when there's a couple, you always start with the woman. Always. <laughs> always. The woman runs everything. All right, let me ask you this, because I'm looking at your profile, right? Mm -hmm. You got these things pinned. Build your portfolio, build your knowledge, build your community. Yes. What does that mean to you? Um, well, building your portfolio, uh, you know, goes without saying. I mean, you want to be making sure that you're building a portfolio for yourself. Don't just be making other people money make sure you're, you're eaten too in that sense. Um, build your knowledge, well, knowledge is power and the only way to get anywhere is if you know and if you apply the knowledge. Um, and then build your community, I mean, nothing happens without people. They are your greatest resource. Um, I've learned that, you know, very painfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> so finding and surrounding yourself with the right people, with the right energy, um, who've got a growth mindset and who, who wanna win. And again, even for them, offering them value. You know, um, I I'm, I work with people now where we we can offer each other value. They can make up for things that you know I don't have, and vice versa. And um, and even like if you've got employees, whatever business you're in, like to show these people value. You know, they could work for you. They could work for anybody. But um, you know, some of the people that I work with even now, like I'm helping these people buy real estate, and these are you know juniors, um, they're just starting out, maybe they're just renting an apartment, they've got a little bit of savings, and I'm like, okay, you're not only gonna work for me, you're gonna learn how to do this for yourself too, and I think that's really critical. Most importantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, final gem. Okay. Anything you wanna talk about, let it all out, give it to the people. Yeah, um, something that's really important to me and that I've you know really grown and evolved into the last few years is just really working on the mindset. I think no matter where you are, you've got limited belief systems. Uh, a lot of them are passed down from you know, our parents or things we saw growing up. I know you've talked a lot about trauma. Um, and I think it's, just, it's really important to whatever it is you've got to do, whether it's meditation, whether it's you know, uh, Reiki, whether it's yoga, mm -hmm. you know, um, just working on that mindset and understanding that a lot of the stories and, and where you are in your life now is nothing but a series of choices you've made and you know, thoughts and belief systems inform the choices you make. And so if you're not where you wanna be, the beautiful thing is that you just gotta go back and make new choices, right? And you've just gotta change the belief system and, and change the thought process and change the energy. And so again, surrounding yourself with the right people who've all got that energy, that motivational energy that, you know, that everybody wants to see each other win is just so critical and that's where um, that, that mindset piece is, is so important. And no matter what industry you're in, whether you're gonna be a surgeon or, you know, you've got to just have the mindset of winning um, and that there is, there's no limits except the ones that, you know, you create. There's no limits except the ones you create. 1,000% yeah. agree. Tell yeah. them how to find you. 
Uh, so I'm on Instagram at Priscilla Facey, um, and I am on my company website is buildupdevco.com, um, and I'm here to help everybody build themselves up. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Priscilla Facey in the building. <laughs> she came all the way from the six. All the way, all the way. Six gods in the building. <laughs> goddesses, goddesses. Six goddesses. <laughs> six goddesses. Uh, in the building, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you tap in. Uh, we're gonna have to do a part two to this. Sure. Um, I'm coming back to the six. Okay. So we're gonna have to take a trip to Niagara Falls, and oh, we're gonna yes. have to go see the developments. I'll show you all of the uh, all the beauty and the pain. Oh yes, <laughs> we need the beauty. We need the pain. We need the good, the bad, and the <laughs> ugly. Tooks pack up the equipment. We are going to the six coming soon. <laughs> all right, y'all. So y'all tap in with my girl Priscilla. I hope you got value from this and look i hope more women are um inspired yes um by this um episode and hopefully they reach out to you yeah absolutely. Um, do you have any communities or anything like that any books what you got going on Come yeah on. so i'm, I'm working, working on, on something i'm working on something um yeah i actually just i started writing out an outline um a couple of weeks ago actually after the whole um the eyl events in toronto and just really feeling that energy um and seeing you know that that people really need information and information that like myself and a lot of the team that I work with, we just have it in our heads, but we need to, you know, get it out to the people. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'm working on something that I'd, I hope to be releasing very soon. Look, tap in with her, stay tuned. Matt Garland here, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. Yes. Peace. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.